friends, welcome back to the Book and Life podcast with your host this week, Crystal Fleming, and it is an honor to be doing this with you guys, and I am super excited about the author we've got on today. She's a YA author with some great twists and turns to her work, and I cannot wait to share her with you. But first, I need to read to you the first advert for the Time Guardian series, The Shadow, book by Marianne Curley. The battle is over, the war is won, the prophecy complete, but life can't just pick up where it left off for Ethan. Struggling to cope with tragic loss at odds with friends in the guard, he finds himself adrift, jumping at shadows and sensing someone who can't possibly be there. Blaming herself for the goddess Lathena's death, Giselle swears revenge and followed by the immortal's plan for world domination. But Giselle hadn't planned on love, and that leaves her with an unbearable choice should she follow her heart or the strings of a goddess short on praise but high on expectation who continues to pull her from the grave as the guard and the order battle through the past and into an impossible future darkness lurks around every corner the fight for the world's survival rests with just one is it friend or foe who stands in the shadow the Price of Freedom by Rosemary Rowan is having its royalties donated to the Ukraine crisis and her series is called The Price of Freedom and uh, it's a Roman British crime series that you will not want to miss. Her agent has even donated her commission to this particular um, charity fund. But now let's go on and welcome our guest today. And welcome back to the Book and Life podcast. Today we have an exceptional author on with us today. I know her from Stokers and Holmes, fell in love with it, and could not wait to have her on. Honestly, guys, the series was amazing. I've now got on to learn about other books, and my husband's complaining about my book bill. But <laughs> without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Colleen Gleason. Hello. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Crystal. Not a problem. And I have to say that I just, I love the way you write. It's so funny and smooth and clean. It's, yeah, gets me really excited about books. Well, you know what? That makes my day hearing that from someone who's read my book. <laughs> I appreciate that very much. Um, you said that you you found me through my Stoker and Holmes series. And yeah. I'm pretty excited because they've just been re-released with new covers um, so they I have a new, that, yeah. fancy new look, and um, I'm really excited. Some of them have some illustrations in them that weren't there the first time around. So um, it's uh, it's very timely, this interview. Yeah, I, I just seemed to time that one perfectly tonight. Mm -hmm. So you've got steaks, cakes, and mandrakes out sort of when this podcast comes out in February. Can you tell us about what inspired that series and then a bit about the book itself? So the series is called the Three Tomes Bookshop Series, and it's about a woman who's in her late 40s. Her name is Jacqueline. Uh, the first book in the series is called Tomes, Scones, and Crones. The second book is called Purses, Curses, and Hearses. And the new book, the third book, is Steaks, Cakes, and Mandrakes. In the first book, Jacqueline Finch, who's been a librarian forever, her whole entire life gets turned upside down. She's 48, and she's about to, actually, she's about to celebrate her 48th birthday, and on that day, she gets fired from her job. The house that she's been living in for years gets sold out from under her, 
and her reputation is ruined. And you wonder how all that can happen to one person at one time. And really, it is a little bit of there's a little bit of monkeying happening around with the um, with the three crones that she meets. So yeah, she loses her job. She needs a new place to live. And lo and behold, the same day all this happens, she finds out that she inherited this little bookshop in a small town in Michigan. And um, she uh, she she doesn't really have any choice at that point. So she goes up to michigan to this little town and she you know takes over this bookshop she's a book lover so she's kind of ecstatic in her you know even though her life's been upended she's kind of ecstatic about this change in her life and this opportunity and but then she meets two women who basically have taken over the bookshop and one of them turns out to be sherlock holmes's landlady um miss uh mrs um hudson thank you couldn't think of her name for a minute there mrs hudson and the other person turns out to be Mrs. Um, oh my gosh, Mrs. Danvers from Rebecca, the Gothic novel Rebecca. And these two women are very different people. They're also characters from books that you know Jacqueline is very familiar with. And it turns out they actually work at the bookshop, and they basically are you know they are frenemies, so they don't really get along with each other. But they're there together to work in the bookshop and help. Jacqueline run the bookshop, but they're not the only characters who come out of books. So in Tome, Scones, and Crones, we have a character showing up from, well, I don't want to give it away, but we have another character showing up from a book slash movie, and Jacqueline has to figure out how to run this bookshop with all of these literary characters coming in and out and trying to tell her what to do. And um, so there's there's definitely an element of paranormal to it. Um, It's not really a murder mystery, even though a dead body is found in the upstairs of the bookshop. And it's not really a murder mystery, and it's not a romance. It's kind of a hodgepodge of things that book lovers love. Let me just put it that way. That's why the uh, series is called The Three Tomes Bookshop. And in the second book, different characters um, come out of the books, and they have, they, they um, you know, they kind of, um, it, it, you know, get involved in Jacqueline's life, try to tell her what to do and mess things up. One of them turns out to be the artful Dodger from Oliver Twist. So he's pickpocketing Jacqueline's customers. So she's got her hands full. But, um, and the third book is all about steaks, cakes, and mandrakes. So steaks, not the kind you eat, but the kind you steak a vampire with. So um, I'm not going to give you too much more, but that's where that one's going. So as soon as you say that, I think of elementary for some reason. Mm-hmm. I've been actually watching the show recently, and I think that's what's stuck in my head, because I'm a Sherlock Holmes fan. My husband, not so much, so he's mm-hmm. kind of suffering through the series with me. But I loved... That's what I loved about, you know, your work, is it is funny, it's not conventional. You know, you kind of pick it up, and it, it really is an escape, because you just get so caught up in the humour... And the flow of your style. And it's well, such an easy read. That. Thank you very much. Yeah. That's the whole that's the whole master plan. Thank you so much. Should we talk about the Stoker and Home series a little bit? Um since you brought If it you up? want, yeah. I mean the first book blew my mind and I'm like, wait, what's happening? This is crazy. And then I even said like I, I basically woke my husband up at three o'clock in the morning and said, Oh my god, you know, there's like Brown Stoker's <laughs> Uh, yeah, to say that I got shouted up for... Like, well, you know. I'm ecstatic to hear that. So, yes, yeah, so Stoker and Holmes, for those of you who aren't familiar with the book, 
uh, series, it's Sherlock Holmes's niece teaming up with yep. Bram Stoker's sister in an alternate London, and they're kind of doing some work for Irene Adler, who's connected to the Crown. And um, so it's kind of that's mystery, a little bit of romance, a little bit of of um, science fiction, a little bit of fantasy, kind of all merged into this series. And I don't know if you've uh, worked through the whole series yet, but there are five books. And it's complete. The series is complete. So you don't have to that, worry that's about That's why I'm reading it now, because I am one of these people. I don't know if you feel the same way when you're reading a book, but if you know it's the series, you kind of almost dread the end, but you have to yeah. wait for that last book. Yeah. And I'm like one of these, I wait till all of them are out, and then I go buy them all, and then I sit and I devour them. Um, so like yeah, but... Or- yeah, exactly. And uh, I actually have all the old covers. Oh, very good. So yeah. I don't have any of the new ones. So, like, it's all the old ones, yeah. And I actually, basically, because I like the old covers, I went and I was, like, going through eBay to make sure I got the exact ones and things like that, yeah. Well, the new covers like, are cool because the spines, there's a, sp- a design when you line up all the spines. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, yeah. there's, like, a, new, a different image on the spines when you like oh that is cool yeah both in hardcover and paperback both the new the new covers and the new packaging so i'm one of these as well like i love hardbacks because they last longer than paperbacks but at the same time i have arthritis so it's like Uh, trying to read with a hardback i'm like my arms asleep so yeah Yeah, that's not good well uh, the other thing is um if you like audiobooks the woman who did the narration for the Stoker and Holmes audiobooks is amazing. I highly recommend those for you or any of your listeners who like to listen to the books. Yeah, you know, listen to yeah, them. we'll definitely check it out because I know a lot of people here, they love Audible. I wasn't into Audible until recently. And then the I kind of got like hounded by a lot of the listeners going, oh, you got to try it, you got to try it. It's like, oh, okay. And then I, I listened to um, Tessa Dare's. One of hers, and I think it's the. Oh. Okay, I've forgotten the title, but it was really good, and the idea of it was it was a writer who wrote these books, and her dad took the credit, and it was done really well. So I'm now re or I'm now listening to Jane Eyre. Mm-hmm. Because you know I have a really old copy of Jane Eyre, so I don't want to damage it. Yes. <laughs> so like I thought, I'll listen to the audiobook and it can look pristine on my bookcase. I don't Love have to it. worry about killing Love it. That. So um, yeah, paperbacks don't last very well with me. So yeah, yes, I'm a spine bender. I like it because I go like this. Oh, yeah. I've been known to do that in my youth. I don't do it so much anymore. I read a lot of ebooks just because for convenience I can stick. My e-reader yeah. in my purse and take it with me. And if I run out of books, there's another one to download. So it makes it easier for me, you know. But I do. Yeah, because I noticed part. behind you, you have the most amazing bookcase ever. Yeah, I was like admiring it. All of those books, like directly behind me in the center, is, is all re- those are all research books for the different series that I've written. This way, a little bit are like mysteries. You can see mysteries and romance. And there's actually yeah, for the whole <gasps> the whole entire wall. Wow. Guys, honestly, it's like book case in heaven. It is. Yep, there it is. All the way over. See, I'm trying to get my husband to do a similar one, but he bought individual bookcases over the years because I'm up to a thousand now. (laughs) And I'm in a tiny little flat and he's like, Crystal, there's no more space. 
cannot get more bookcases. Like we can always get bookcases in. So yeah, it's my uh, that's my addiction. He has motorcycles and I have books. I think I think it works works well. Good for each of you to have something. Yeah, exactly. And mine costs less technically than his. So probably. Yeah. So I'm okay. So we're moving into sort of the book portion of the podcast. This is where we you get to be a reader yourself and excited about books yourself. What have you read recently that stuck with you the most, would you say? Um, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I'm reading all the time, whether it's for research or for pleasure. Um, I'm currently, I just finished the first book in Jessica Ellicott's um, Barrel and Edwina mystery series, which was really fun. And I have on my uh, e-reader queued up to read very soon is Stephanie Graves' third book in her Olive Bright Pigeoneer series. Um, so I have that on my uh, list. Just, I don't know. I, I've been rereading Agatha Christie also quite a bit because of my series that I write as Colleen Cambridge. The first book in the series is Murder at Mallowan Hall, and the, series, the protagonist is Agatha Christie's housekeeper. So she finds a dead body in Agatha Christie's library in the first book. So um, I'm doing a lot of research and rereading a lot of Agatha Christie as, you know, background and, you know, kind of just refresh my memory on the books. I do that too, because like, particularly for me, if I'm, it's weird, if I'm working on the detective series I've got going, I'm always in touch with the homicide detective I work with on it. Mm -hmm. So like, I'm constantly reading material he sent me or, you know, trying to read a case file that he sent me or notes he sent me so like i get that feeling but then i also review books for the podcast and then i don't really get to read for pleasure at the moment because it's like edits and writing and everything else and i'm like there's not enough hours in the day so yeah but um i just started reading the axe woman by hankin nesser i highly recommend it it's actually comes out September 1st and it is amazing but it's a translation so there's like little things about it that trips you up but it's he's a really good writer and he's actually known as the godfather of crime in Sweden so it's nice to try somebody a bit different and kind of I always get outside of your comfort zone and I find that like that was how I ended up reading you was somebody said to me oh my god, this is the young adult version of Catherine Cookson. And I went, huh? <laughs> it just sort of took me like, it's like, okay, I'll have to try this, because I, I, I grew up on Catherine, and I, I read the first one, I'm like, oh my god, this is, yeah, it is. Because you, you write such, it's such a level that people can understand it, no matter what walk of life they come from. And it that's what was so good about her is she had this sort of really down-to-earth you know working class style of just talking like it was as if she was actually just telling you the story and I got that feeling with you and I was just like yeah this person's right so I have to have her in the show so I'm so glad you're here um but yeah the one that I'm reading at the moment is the ex-woman um but yeah I pro- you probably haven't heard of him but uh yeah he's he's quite good so if you had infinite time to sit and just read and enjoy it for pleasure, who would you, like, you get a, an author in a series. 
So who would your author be and what series would you choose? Oh, I really like the J.D. Robb's um, Eve Dallas series. I reread that series a bunch of times, so I probably would sit down and go through the 50-plus books in the series from beginning to end. If I had if I had series. all the time in the world, it is a very big series. If I had all the time in the world and I didn't have my own books to write, I probably would do that. Yeah, cause I, it's funny. I always ask authors these questions, and then they're like, there's always, like, the normal dead silence <laughs> while they try and, like, pick out of their huge library. Well, yeah, I'm there's saying. usually a bunch. But that, that, I, I picked that one because it's a long series, and it can, it would take me a while. So what, what about an author? What author would you pick? If you could read absolutely everything they've ever published, who would it be? Oh, hmm, probably Elizabeth Peters. She wrote as Elizabeth Peters, Barbara Michaels, and she also had a Ph.D. in Egyptology, and wrote wow. some nonfiction books. And I've read most of her books because she's probably my all-time favorite writer. But I haven't yeah. read every single one. I'm saving some for, I don't know, someday when I need a book to read by my favorite author that I've never read before. Yeah, it's or, good to have somebody like that because if you're having like a difficult time or you just feel done, for some reason, if you pick them up, it kind of lifts lifts you up. And it does. I say so to I, Ian, like, I'm savoring yours because you... I lost my favorite author. She passed away. So you're kind of like as good as her. So you've become mm. like my favorite author section. And well, he's just like, you. you can't keep hoarding favorite authors <laughs> for when you feel sad. <laughs> You'll never read it all. What author do you wish that you could sit and chat with? Like if you had, I don't know, you past, present, if you could sit and just talk to them, who would it be and why? Well, I'd probably want to talk to Elizabeth Peters. She's my favorite author. She passed away, sadly, I think in 2018, and I never got to meet her, unfortunately. So I would love to sit and chat with her just because she's got a hell of a sense of humor. She's very smart. And um, her books I have read over and over again, and they never fail to entertain. So she would be fabulous to have for dinner, to sit and chat with or whatever. Yeah, no, I love that, and it's it's always fun to think, like, what would I do? <laughs> Who would it be, right? Yeah. Is there an author, past and present, who's influenced, inspired, and made you excited about A, writing, and B, books? An author that's what? You whipped out for a second. There. Inspired, oh. in excited, and made you excited about books, made you excited about writing, influenced you. Well, I mean, Agatha Christie. I mean, I read her when I was in middle school and I loved her. And I mean, that I was always hooked on mysteries. And, you know, Nancy Drew was good. But when you graduate to Hercule Poirot and Miss Marple, you know, it's, you're going to another level. So definitely an inspiration. Yeah. There's a reason she's the best-selling author of all time, you know? Exactly. Uh, my mother-in-law is a huge fan of her, so I'm, I'm sure mm, she'll yeah. love this, this podcast as you'll be listening in. If you could go back in time, what time would you go back to? And would you go back as a writer, a princess? What job would you go back and do if you could go back in time? It would depend how far back in time. Oh, it's infinite. You can go right back to the very beginning or you can go anywhere in between. I think I'd like to go back to um, like the 1930s when um, the, the golden age of murder mystery writing, I think that would be fun. When Agatha Christie yeah. and Dorothy L. Sayers were around, I think I'd like to go back there. And I would probably want to join the detection club 
which is a club that was made up of, it actually still exists today, but it was made up of all sorts of very well-known mystery writers. And they would get together every month or so in London and have dinner and talk about the business. So I think that would be super fun to be part of that. Yeah, it would. Uh, I've actually had a guest on who was part of that club. So. Mm-hmm. There you go. Has there ever been a book that you picked up and you were like, what am I doing? What, what am I reading here? Like, this is a disaster. I can't read this. Yeah, but I'm not going to name titles. I don't know. We don't talk about titles. We just okay, talk good. about oh, yeah, like why it would do that for you. Yeah, there are many books that I I hit I throw against the wall. I'm a very particular reader. I'm very picky. If somebody um, you know is really making errors related to historical fact. I mean, there's always some leeway as a writer, especially if you're writing historical, but, um, you are, um, but if you're, you know, if you're messing things up that are kind of obvious, another thing that bothers me is when characters do things that don't, you know, we all make mistakes both in life and characters make mistakes, but if they're just not logical, what they're doing and there's really no reason for it, or it's manufactured, conflict that thing will get me i'll throw the book against the wall there too or if it becomes trite there's a lot i there's a lot of books i don't finish yeah no i've i've been in that situation yeah i just actually find an incredible writer who does um historical mystery elizabeth chatwick have you heard of her i know her i mean i don't know her but i know her book yeah yeah like Never, never read her any of hers before, and then somebody just sort of handed me one one day, and it's like, you, you got to read this. You're really, in- I can't stand Viking mythology being wrong or mm. like the whole Viking thing because I grew up in it. I literally lived in ruins, you oh know, my. all around me. So the idea of them getting it wrong does the same thing to me. I throw the book in the just usually in a box and it gets donated. <laughs> it's my donate box, you know. Um, if I can't read it, it goes in there. Away <laughs> the it goes. So going into your writing, this is where a lot of the young writers who uh, listen to this podcast get excited because it gives them a, a new perspective into the writing world, I would say. Um, and I think that's really helping a lot of young writers Good. Uh, keep keep writing and especially since it's such a tough business right how do you go about creating the darker elements in your stories wow uh well the darker elements i try to find things that really um make the characters have to make difficult decisions um and so then i build you know that around but you know a lot i don't plan my books out ahead of time i don't plot them so that just oh, sort of, okay. those sorts of things just sort of unfold as I'm writing the book. Um, they're yeah. usually not planned. They just, so the characters get in there, you know, and they're, in their, they're doing their thing and all these things happen to them. And I'm right, I'm along for the ride with the characters, kind of how I like to look at Ah, so you, you write in the flow, like you don't try to, like, make sure you, you're correcting every little detail out and it's all on a big whiteboard so you can see it. No, I don't. I don't do anything like that. I just write the words. Every day I write the words, and every day <clears throat> when I start writing again, I go back and read yeah, yeah. what I had written the day before, a couple of days before, and I tweak all that, and then I write new words. So, no plotting, unfortunately. Okay. I don't even usually know who done it when I'm writing a murder mystery. It's crazy. No, it actually makes sense because I've had a lot of writers come on and say they don't really know until they've 
finished it. A lot like, of people don't. Yeah, I know. I know a yeah. lot of writers who don't know who done it. So what, like, what inspired you to sort of enter the genre that you did with your writing? What sort of drew you to? This is the genre that I feel my voice belongs to. Well, I mean, I write a lot of different genres. So most of my books are set in historical time periods, whether they're alternate history or real history. So uh, I, I would guess that I was, I've always been drawn to historical set stories because I grew up reading Little House on the Prairie and a bunch of you know books mm-hmm. during that time period, a lot of West Western set books. And as I got older, I continued to read historical romance. I currently um, read a lot of historical mystery, which I really like because of the history. And there's always mysteries. And then there's a nice little romantic element usually for most of those, um, for the, most of those series. So I get all the parts that I like. But um, yeah. so generally, I feel like most people tell me or many people tell me I have a historical sounding voice in my writing. And I always try to take good care not to include any anachronisms in my writing or dialogue. And um, I guess maybe I should have, maybe I should go back in time. I don't know. <laughs> oh, no, I know that feeling. Uh, a lot of people say I I was born in the wrong, well, A, wrong country, and B, wrong, wrong era. So is the book, like when you're writing it, is it like a movie to you or is it a jigsaw puzzle where you're trying to like fit the pieces together? It's a movie with lots of stops and starts. It's a movie with lots of stops and starts. Okay, cool. No, I, I like that because some people say it'll maybe start off as a movie and then it is a bit of a jigsaw or it's just a jigsaw that they have to put together in order to get the story. So that's kind of cool. So which character have you written that you would say have stayed with you the, the most or the longest? Um, the, the main character, my first series, the Gardella Vampire Hunters. Her name is Victoria Gardella. And she is a woman who lives in the time of Jane Austen. And just as she's about to debut into society, so kind of think the Bridgerton, think Bridgerton, that world, yeah. that sort of whole element. But the night, bef- the night before she's going to debut, she finds out she's a vampire hunter from a long line of family vampire hunters. And um, that character, because she was the, the character in my first series that was ever published starting in 20, 2007, um, she probably is the one that stuck with me the longest, mainly because people always email me about that series and tell me how much they love it, how many times they've read it and reread it, and um, it's their favorite series and so on. And so I'm always reminded of of Victoria because she was my first. You know, she was my first, not my first book. I wrote seven books before her book was published, her first book, but it was my first series that was published that the public read. So definitely. Yeah, that's cool. I always say the first one is the one that never kind of wants to leave. It just, they just sort of cling on to you a little bit. And you're like, first love, you know, there's always, there's always a relationship there. You always think of them fondly or maybe not, but I do. Is there a character that you wish you could write more about? Like, have they, is there a character you kind of think, I wish I could have gone back and written them or given them a bit more of a story? Um, really most of my series I've finished, I've completed, you know, a certain number of books. And so their story is complete. Um, I have five books in the Stoker and Holmes series, but there is, the door is open for more if I ever choose to do more. So I may end up, uh, you know, doing that at some point, but most of the time I plan my books in my series that way. 
Yeah, of course. But I always find that, like, you know, there's always there's always that one character that you kind of always kind of feel like, oh, I really wish I could write more because they're just a part of me and it feels right. So I, I like to, to always hear that. And I think it excites the readers, too, because they're like, oh, wow, could there be more of that? You know, so it always gives them a, a little bit of excitement, I find. For sure. I mean, yeah. for you, if you could pick what, any of your series, which series do you think you would love to be transformed into a film? Or a TV oh, series? Oh, well, TV, not film. Nobody does film anymore. I want, I'd want. i like to see the Stoker and Holmes series as, as a TV series. I think it would fit really I think well. that would be a good one. It would, yeah. It's very visual because of the steampunk elements. Um, you know, and there's a, the two very different female characters, the main characters. So I think that would be a fabulous TV series. So the other series I wouldn't mind would be the Philida Bright series that I write as Colleen Cambridge. And that would be oh, fun, too. Okay. That would be like a BBC, you know, British murder mystery series, which I would like. And would you want to write it yourself or do you think you would trust a Hollywood writer to take over? Well, you don't really have cha- a choice, you know. I mean, unless you're, you know, J.K. Rowling. (laughs) So definitely a Hollywood writer would be taken over, a British, you know, mystery writer. I would hope to have some sort of, um, you know, conservative element or, uh, you know, pull. But at the end of the day, TV and um, movies are completely different, you know, media than books. and And I understand completely that things would be different if they were ever, you know, turned into something on the screen. They just have to work differently. So... And I've experienced that, you know, because I I had a feature signed with Magnetic Box Films. Uh, And the, yeah, it's not gone anywhere yet. So, but it it was good to to sign that. And, but to have them say, would you write the screenplay? Because you get the characters, you get the, you know, you get the world. And it was, it was a really enjoyable experience because I really was able to sort of take it and keep keep that world I created in the novel, but expand the fun parts and make yes. it a bit more visual you, and, you, and a bit more exciting. You have to how to deal with things like internal dialogue and exposition and things like yeah. that. So definitely it's it has to be you know handled differently. And I never expected to be any good at it. So, you know, I had a pilot that's just quarter-finaled in the Stage 32 pilot drama series, which is also signed with Magnetic Box Films. So it, it's, I always say, like, to authors, a lot of them are resistant to that idea of having it go into TV, but it can actually be a very freeing experience because yeah, if you're not you too kind of a good you, you trust You trust the, the people who are, you know, experts in that medium. Um, yeah. You know, I think it's a relationship, though. Like you need to trust them, and and they need to trust you, and it it needs to be a give and take. Yeah, and one would hope it would be that way, but quite honestly, it it often isn't. I know enough writers who've had their work, um, you know, adapted for the screen, and, yeah. and some of it's actually been made. And and I know, I mean, I hear from them how it is. So it's you don't really have a lot of control as the writer if it's you know a big enough studio that's going to make it make the make yeah, the project yeah. unless you're someone who has the, the cloud of jk rowling maybe Nora roberts or stephen king somebody like that so that's yeah. just part of the nature of the beast you know when you but it, like, it's good to think about it and it's good to kind of talk about it as well because i think it's it opens some authors who do listen to this and think 
who've maybe been close-minded to it before, it allows them to say, oh, maybe I would actually consider it. Maybe it won't be such a bad experience. What techniques have you found helpful? And are there ones that you wished you tr- you hadn't tried, like you hadn't gone down certain ro- routes when you were learning your, your style and your voice? Hmm. Um, techniques. You mean like craft techniques? Yep. Yep. Running craft techniques. I don't even know how to answer that because I don't, I think I just, I don't really think about technique. I just write. I I don't, I'm I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know. (laughs) So you've Um, not done like the whole exercise book try or you've not tried plotting and said no way or. Well, I mean, I guess I, I guess I've thought about, I tried plotting and it's been very short lived when I tried plotting. It's, it's very, very difficult for me to plot ahead. Um, so I, I have done that. <clears throat> a couple things I've done, I guess, I don't know if you'd call this a technique, but some of my more recent books, I did something I've never done before. And I've written like the last, almost the last scene, like the, right. the harrowing scene, the climactic scene. I've jumped ahead and written that and then had to go back and write the lead up scenes to that. So I've done that a couple no, times. No, that I is a writing write, technique, yeah. I yeah. Usually, usually write fairly uh, linearly. But in that case, I was jumping ahead a little bit. So it's it's funny you mentioned that because I wasn't sure like how to do it myself. And I basically learned from Julia Pleck, and that's how she does it. She takes the ending and she figures out, right, this is the this is where I want it to be. This is where I want to end this particular bit. And then she just sort of works it backwards. And she said she tried doing it linear. And she tried plotting and she said none of it worked for her. She couldn't even get pants into work. But when she started that style and that technique, she found that was the answer. So it's good to share like different techniques because sometimes if there's somebody that's struggling, it could maybe suggest something to them they've not tried. And I it could work for them. agree. Everybody has their own process, but you have to figure out that process. And um, ideas to how to, to tackle it is, are uh, always yeah. welcome. And your process and it's a long great. process. Yeah, it's everybody's own process and your process might change over the years. You know, mine has. Mm -hmm. I think age is a a factor. Would you agree? Like, you know, your age is a factor. Maybe not so much age, but experience. I've written over 45 novels. So as I get, you know, as I'm writing, it's a lot easier to write my 45th novel than it was, was to write my second novel because I have my process and I've learned to trust my process, even if it's weird even if it changes. And I've also learned that, you know, eventually the book will get done if I keep plugging away at it. So um, part of it's just the fact that you're used to it. You you know the ups and downs and you know that you're going to have tough times and you know it's going to get easier near the end, usually. So Usually, yes, I, I agree. I'm, I'm one of these ones that struggle to put the ending in because I hate closing a story. Oh, Oh, I'm always ready to close the story and move on. <laughs> I I don't know if it's because I love the character so much. And then I get to that point where I'm like, I need to write the end. And I have to, and I sit for like three days and I torture myself. And then my husband's like, would you just get on and do it? Yeah. You well, know? Yeah, you got to get it done. Yeah. and But that's, that's like everything else goes really fast. And then I get to the end and it's like, you could literally see me torturing myself. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I hate doing that. I don't mind killing characters off. I just don't like ending the series. So, yeah. No, that that's my Achilles heel, I'm afraid. 
So, going into sort of your life, this is where we kind of debunk all the myths about us, because I, I know a lot of people think we live in mansions with servants, or we're totally antisocial people, and we never leave the house. Um, so this is a really good way to say, no, we're actually human, we do the shopping, and we have kids we raise, and we do all these normal oh, everyday things. Right. Exactly, so... What's the first thing that you do when you need to de-stress from life, editing, writing, you know, all the usual stressors? Um, I usually uh, have my husband take me out on our, we have a small, we live on a small lake and we go out on the pontoon, just very slowly drive around. I usually have a, some something to drink, maybe a cocktail, maybe a cup of tea, something. And that's my, my one of my de-stresses. That's in the summer. In the winter, it'll probably be a hot bath. Sit by the fire, read a good book, something like that. Um, another thing yeah. that I do sometimes is I um, will cook. I like to cook or go out and work in my garden or, you know, anything like that. So just re- moving away from what I was doing that was causing me the stress is, yeah. you know, what I what I normally do if I need to de-stress. I think breaking cycles is a, is a good way because mm-hmm, if you get yourself into that rut of, uh, I can't get this, I can't move forward. I think going away and physically doing something else, even if it's something as mundane as doing the dishes, can sometimes just shake loose whatever it is that you're stressing yourself about. So I, I always I always try and recommend when people ask me what I do. That's that's what I go and do. What hobbies do you enjoy and are there ones that you wish you had more time to explore? And if so, which which ones would you do? Oh, I'm so boring. I just I like to cook and I like to garden. I like to read too, but cooking and gardening are two of my favorite things. And I wish I had more time and energy to garden. Um, Mm -hmm. But I live in uh, the Midwest United States. And so our, well, in Michigan, so it's in the Northern Midwest United States. So our summer and our growing period is only about four or five ish months, maybe six if you push it. So I don't have as much time to garden as I want, Um, but I do get to cook year round. And I like that. So gardening and and cooking and reading and writing, those are my main things that I really enjoy doing. I also, um, along with the cooking is um, I really like to make up new cocktails. So I'm kind of a little amateur mixologist as well. (laughs) That is actually quite fun. I know in Scotland, because we're a bit like you guys with the weather, (laughs) we actually have conservatories because that gives us the ability to have flowers growing in the house yes all year round which is great and i always recommend to people if you stay sort of in that region of the north america get a conservatory because trust me it and it helps because what people don't realize is if you don't get enough sun you don't get your vitamin d which affects mood it affects your you know what you can actually physically do system too your immune system too i know that my uh doctor said that everybody in michigan which is again where i live should take extra vitamin d because even in the summer we don't get enough sun exactly and that's why i say like i know it sounds crazy but you can get like a conservatory really cheap nowadays um and they just build it onto the end of your house and that's your room and Mm. it's great for like just having books and comfy seats and all that kind of stuff in there um but yeah it's a lifesaver because i see in shetland islands where you know we get a really limited time like three months is ours but our summer the sun you know sun never sets it's so weird because it's yeah and then it's the light it's dark all the time probably yeah yeah Yeah. i think we get like two or three hours of sunlight if we're lucky 
and yes, I, I I don't know what we would have done without a conservatory, to be honest. Um, my mum had this gigantic apple tree, and <laughs> every year I had to move my seat further and further away from it because it seemed to attract a lot of spiders, oh. and I wasn't a big spider fan. <laughs> No. So, but yeah. Something about getting one of the little bugs. So, we, you know, it's it's hard to remember that. Even though they're creepy crawly, they, they provide a benefit. But no, I don't like spiders either. Yeah, we used to get this little mama, like, we always had this little uh, spider nest that would appear and the leg would appear. Oh, well, oh gosh, here we go. We're spending the winter stamping these legs out. Oh, fantastic. But I, yeah, conservatories was... It's my favorite place to read as well. I don't know why. Cause you, you can be sitting out in the rain, but still have that lovely enclosed space where you feel protected. We have so our, what's our the deck. The deck uh, in the summertime, I, I set up our deck. We don't have a conservatory, but I have a sofa out on the deck, a sectional, a leather sectional out on the deck with a big umbrella wow. over it and yeah. some tables and a rug. And so it is like an outdoor living room, but... There's no there's no walls or screens. There's just an umbrella over it. So if it's really raining hard, you're going to get rain down. But if it's not, then it's that's my sanctuary. So I, I hear what you're saying, and I and I always have flower pots all over with lots of flowers. So that's my and little haven. Yeah, I, I love that. It, yeah, I think all writers should have havens that they can go and mm-hmm. get away from from the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is the first thing that you do in the morning? The most important thing for you. I get up and drink a whole, I get up and drink 32 ounces of water first thing in the morning. That's what I do. Oh, okay. Literally, that's what I do. Before I have my tea, I don't drink coffee. Before I have my tea, I get up and I have 32 ounces of water. And then I sit down and I kind of, I usually open up my social media and uh, check the news and uh, maybe look at the day's crossword puzzle. I don't start writing first thing in the morning. Just get myself oh. up, get my kitchen you know, and to empty the dishwasher, kind of get everything kind of settled. So I start the day ready. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I know I had to change my writing style because I was living with my parents um, and I was the same. I had to get them all out the house. Yes. Because the worst thing to have is if you're in the zone and then somebody comes over and they continually pest you until you answer them and then because you've answered them, you've lost your zone. Um, So I had to get them out the house uh, normally the husband had to go too and then yeah, i could just write you know yes agreed 100 percent. yeah i mean you just if there's somebody in the house it's even if they're not talking to me i can hear them i know that they're there they could be like they could walk in at any minute and disrupt me so yes i'd like to have the house to myself and so, so how, my did, husband, how did you go with covid well my husband and i are empty nesters well actually that's not true during COVID, we had two of our two younger children with us. They were, um, I think, yeah. probably 19 and 22. They were with us for about six months, maybe. Um, and uh, but they, they're, you know, they all, they were in school. They were doing all their um, classes remotely, so they were had class all day. Right. My yeah. husband was around a lot, and that was hard. So yeah, I didn't write a lot. I didn't write a lot during the early parts of COVID. Um, it was tough. A lot of people said, oh, it's a great time to write. You don't have, you can't go anywhere. And I I did not write a lot because there were too many things going on. I know that feeling because, like, that's what everyone said to me. And I'm like, but mm. I had 
just moved back to Shetland, I had two parents who were very nosy, and then I had a husband who (laughs) was freaking out because he was now living with the in-laws. And I'm like, the only time I could write was when everybody was in bed. So I had to sneak through at 5 (laughs) a.m. to write because I couldn't get beef. I'm a morning person, but I I don't like to write at 5 a.m. I usually am in my office, you know, sometime around 9 I usually get out of bed yes. and sometime around seven and I usually screw around for two hours, take care of the dogs, water my plants, you know, prep the meal for the, for lunch or dinner or whatever. And then um, yeah. meander up to my office around nine o'clock ish. That ish. makes sense. Like I keep saying husband, when we move, I need an office because this mm-hmm. like whole sharing a living room, trying to write thing is tough. Yeah. And I think I'd do better in an office where I can just block him out, close the door, block the door if need be, <laughs> and I can get just peace to actually focus and write. Um, you know, I, I I think people take that for granted, you know. Well, a lot so, of writers I know are that way. They're trying to write, you know, with in another space that, that people yeah. frequent or they go through. Especially if you've got kids as well. I I always admire someone who's like written with children running around and babies and stuff because it's tough. It's really tough to balance all that. Um, So, yeah, I'm trying for a baby this year and I'm terrified of how I'm going to balance all of it. Um, So, yeah. What do you look forward to the most with your writing? What would you say? and, And in life, when you think of your writing fitting into your life, what would you say is your, the thing that you look forward to the most? Well, when I'm working on a book, um, you know, there's, as, as we mentioned earlier, there's harder parts and easier parts. I look forward to those moments when I'm in the book and it is flowing and everything feels like it's working because again, I don't plot. So if things are trundling along nicely and, um, you know, it just feels right. For example, the book I'm writing, I'm currently writing, I'm currently writing and actually it will be done by the time this podcast drops, but um, I'm writing the third book in my Philida Bright series, which is the series with Agatha Christie's housekeeper solving mysteries. And Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I had to murder this. I killed somebody because it's murder mystery. I killed the person and I didn't like the way it went because I couldn't keep writing. It's just there was something wrong. So I went back and killed them a different way. And I still couldn't push forward in the book because it was something was wrong. And I realized what was wrong was that I was killing the wrong person. So I rewrote, oh, okay. I scrapped all that and, and killed somebody different. And ever since I did that, everything just started flowing really well. So I look forward to those times when I'm like, oh, I'm on the right track. Things are going mm-hmm. well. You know, the characters are coming alive, you know, and when you're writing a murder mystery, you've got all these different suspects and they all talk differently and they all have different motivations and they all lie and they all, you know, you know, everything. So when I get into their heads and I start really, that's, that's when I'm the happiest. So what I kind of in your sort of life, have you achieved your dreams as far as writing or have you yet to achieve stuff that's on your list? Because I know we all have goals we want to achieve as writers. So what about you in regards to that? Have you managed to achieve all of them yet? Or are you still on your road? uh, I had been writing since I was young. And I went through school and I got a master's in business. And I worked in the business world. So my first goal was to 
publish a book, have a book published. And I yeah. made that goal by before I was 40, which was a very big deal for me. I was kind of one of my yeah. things. Um, and now I'm at a place where I'm writing two different murder mystery series for my publisher. They're very excited about both of them. And so that's a little bit of a stability sort of thing right now. I've got two different things in the hopper. And then I write, for example, the Three Tomes Bookshop series. And I write my Wix Hollow yeah. series separately. So um, one of my goals would be to have one of my um, works made into some sort of, adapted into some sort of television or, or television show or possibly a movie, yeah. but more likely television. The kinds of things I write are more conducive to television. So that's a personal goal that I have which isn't really in my control at all. It's not in my control no. at all. So my personal goal is to just continue to keep writing books that people want to read and that publishers want to publish. Exactly. I think, you know, like I said to Ian, oh, you know, it'd be great if I made, I would love to have one of them make it the bestsellers list. It's this achievement of mine. Mm -hmm. I started publishing when I was 20. Mm -hmm. I'm 33 now. Mm -hmm. So like, that is my goal. And he looks at me and he's like, just be happy that you're publishing and i'm like no writers have goals this is how well, it works you have a goal, but again those yeah. goals, but we can only the the difference is determining which goals we can control and which ones are basically out of our control and hitting a exactly. bestseller is out of our control getting a, a, a you know a piece adapted is out of our control continuing to write a book and making it mm -hmm. the best book you can write that's in our control so that's what i tell myself yeah. when i think why, you know, why am I not, you know, why did this not happen for me? Or why did this not happen for me? Well, those are things are not in my control. Exactly. And and that's what he reminds me of quite a lot. Because mm. I'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go, oh, oh, I've got a good idea. And he's like, seatbelt, mom, go yeah. to sleep. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it does. It looks like, you know, the whole seatbelt, mom thing. <laughs> yeah. yes. I know, I know. I do. Yes, that's hilarious. I've never heard that term before, but I do that. Even when there's nobody in the car with me, I do that. Put my yep. arm over. We're talking. Nobody, nobody knows what we're saying. But you know, when you're driving along in the car and you have to stop yep. fast, you put your arm out next to you. I'm, I'm telling the people listening so they know what we're talking about. But probably people. Oh yeah, no, of course. But he does that with me. That's like because he cannot bear to get woke up, and some oh. of my ideas will actually just wake me clean up. Oh, and so I, I have like a notebook that I constantly write next to my bed and yeah seatbelt mom thing just fires his arm out across the bed usually spacking me not meaning to and so it shows me that and tells me to go to sleep so yeah um, I I really need to work on that that is a goal of mine that I'm trying to work on so are you a crafty person? Because a lot of authors I find they use crafts to kind of clear the creative tubes when they're getting all clogged up and stuck. So do you enjoy crafts? Um, I do and I have. I mean, I consider cooking and gardening crafts to some extent. They are, yeah. But I definitely have done more artistic-y sort of things, like more visual with mixed media. In fact, I did, um, I've done collages when I'm, I haven't done one recently, but for several of my book series, I did a collage when I was first starting to work on the series, especially when I was in the world building. It was more of a yep. mood board than a collage, but I've done, I did one for Stoker and Holmes. I did one for the Gardella Vampire Hunter series where I have just pictures that remind me or just put me in the mood or, and they're usually three to mm -hmm. 3D, a little bit 3D, like a pop-up book mm -hmm. kind of 3D stuff. 
So yes, I, I have a whole bunch of craft stuff. I don't do crafts on a regular basis unless you count my gardening and my cooking, but I do have a lot of craft stuff and I have been known to paint and draw and um, make bookmarks and all kinds of things like that. So yeah, and you're absolutely right. It's a really good way to kind of clear the decks, be creative mm -hmm. in a different way than the way I'm getting paid to, to create. So I always, I always find it like especially good if you finish a series or you finish plotting a series and you know you need to go write something totally different. I find if I pick up a cross stitch or I do mm -hmm. something different, mm -hmm. it cleans the cleans everything out, cleans all the cobwebs out, and then I'm free to start with nothing tainting it. I love um, that idea. And I yeah. And I and I, I'm doing it more and more because it's it's a good way for me to switch between books. Mm -hmm. So like I'll write during the day and I'll be like, okay, this day's maybe ride with me or tomorrow's Shetland. So I'll craft at night, and Ian will say, would you stop bringing sharp implements to bed? But I craft because it helps take that stuff away. Kind of resets. Kind of resets. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Yeah, I do recommend it to people who are struggling to switch between their stuff. It does really help. So, yeah. Well, I myself have a long-term illness that makes me slow down and appreciate the day. What makes you stop and smell the roses and sort of enjoy this journey we're all on my dogs i have three dogs and they're they're just I don't, I don't know why we got so lucky as to have dogs in our world but they're just they're the best they yeah. just love right uh, unconditional yeah. love and you also like they get excited about the i walk in the door they're excited you know i walk out the door mm -hmm. to get the mail i come back in they're excited you know having that sort of a reaction so that that's something that really helps me to kind of be like, you know what, enjoy the moment. You've got a dog that loves you and they're just loving on you right now. And that's, and sitting on my deck and just, you know, enjoying the beauty and the fresh air and, you know, the birds and everything. Those are the kind of things that made me be like, make me set, step back and be like, okay, crap's going on. I cannot control, but I can take the moment and enjoy yeah. the now and the beauty of the natural world. So Unless I find, like, with myself, because I've been in hospital so much, I spent pretty much half my life has been in and out, that I almost, like, when I'm at home, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm at home. Oh, Yay! And I get... Your place, yeah. Yeah, and I'm actually genuinely excited to be in the house, because it seems daft to people, but to be in the house is great, because I could be in the other place, nice. you know, dealing with that. And I've got the same thing as you, but I've got two cats that act like dogs. Oh. <laughs> no, seriously, they play fetch and everything. Oh, it's I love weird. that. I actually so, have a dog. One of my three dogs thinks he, she's half cat. So I, I, I have the opposite. I have a dog that thinks she's a cat. So go figure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and uh, it's the same thing. They get excited if I, I walk out the door and come back in or I have one that accidentally tries to jump on the bath to see me. And ends up in the bath with me. <laughs> we are trying to work on, you know, bath times for me and not me and him. Yes, yes, of course. <laughs> never oh, met a cat God. that likes water. I was just going to say that. I've never heard of a cat that likes to jump in the bathtub. That's fine. No, I, it's the first time he did it. It totally freaked me out. I'm like, oh, oh my God, what am I... <laughs> Right? You know, like, get out. You're going to you're gonna die. I didn't realize cats could swim, so... But uh, oh. they can actually, and they're pretty good at it, apparently. Oh, so yeah. My one though, he has a bit of a problem with uh, distancing, like mm -hmm. 
spatial awareness oh, is not his thing. So, oh. <laughs> oops. Yeah, there's. Yeah, it's it's funny. So, where's your favorite place to curl up during the day? Do you like the garden, cafe, readers' nook? Where do you like to go when you just want to read? If it's the summer I'm, I, and the weather's good, I'll be on my deck um, with uh, all around. Um, like I said, with the umbrella, I have a leather couch out there, so it's like I'm in a living room. Um, if it's yeah. cold and, or you know the weather's bad, you know I like to I like to curl up with a book in the bathtub or near my fireplace. I have a fireplace in my kitchen, a gas fireplace in my kitchen. So I'll pull up a chair. Yeah, it's wonderful. I'll pull up a chair right next to it. Or um, I have a wood-burning fireplace um, in the TV room, and my husband will usually build me a fire, and I'll read sometimes by by there. So it's all about being cozy and comfortable, whether I'm outside by my flowers or whether I'm inside in a tub or by the fire, you know, one of the two. It's all about being cozy. I like the big fluffy blankets curling up in the seat, nice hot cupper, good book. And then I have to remind myself to fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with falling asleep. I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of naps. I think if anybody yeah. has the opportunity to take a nap, they should always take the opportunity and do it. It's really good for writers too. Yeah. Now this is going to sound crazy because I nap and I'll wake up and I'll be like, oh my god, there's the answer to whatever it yes. is I've been looking for. Yes, agreed. I know. And Ian that will be is- like. But you're not going to sleep tonight, and I'm like, I don't care. I've got the answer tonight. Right, I can, I can work <laughs> instead. Right, yeah. I, you yeah. know, I can. He can sleep, and I can be on the computer. Um, you know, and he's actually finds the sound of me typing very comforting, oh, which is weird. Nice. So yeah, he falls asleep when he hears me typing. So it's like, you know, it's it's it kind of sweet, but at the same time, he starts snoring, and then I start feeling sleepy because he snores. Oh. <laughs> If I could kill the snoring, I'd be in. I'd be a perfect lad. So now we get to do the fun part of the podcast, where I have come up with a list of words, and we're going to see what words Colleen thinks of um, in relation to the books. And uh, your whole set of words had a theme, and it was. Um, I always try and imagine. Well, where would I meet this author in an ideal world? And I imagined us at a murder mystery night in Scotland underneath the stars and there's fireworks and all this stuff. I'm in. That sounds great. Yeah. Um, And it's realistic too. So, yeah. (laughs) So your first word is fireworks. So you want me to tell you what book I think of when I hear that? Yeah. What's Uh, the first book that comes to mind? Any book you want. Um, fireworks, huh? Well, a lot of the good, oh, let's see, probably any good romance novel, there's always fireworks in a good romance. So a good, good Nora Roberts book, like um, Birthright or something. I would really go with good. that. That Yeah, that one's a good for one. Me. Rainbows, because we have rainbows Wizard at night. Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Wizard of Oz. How about stars? Stars? Um, hmm. It's a bit oh, harder, that one. I immediately think of Vincent Van Gogh, but that's not a book, so... Um, well, I mean, I guess... Gosh, I can't... Oh. You know what? Um, the Rest Falls Away, my first Victoria Gardella book, because she spends a lot of time on the streets of London, you know, patrolling, under looking for vampires under the stars, right? Yeah, that's nice. Okay, what about Moon? Same with that. Oh, my God, Victoria immediately. I immediately think of Victoria out on the yeah. streets. Okay, and also Eveline and Mina, they are out in the streets of London a lot. 
in the Stoker and Holmes series with the moonlight over them and the fog in the, you know, the you know it's funny because when I came up with those, I thought of uh, Melissa Marr. She took fairy tales and she set them in Melissa outer Marr. space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, I instantly thought of, like, the Cinderella shoe, you know, mm-hmm. which is she's a robot with a wooden shoe, I think it was. But, like, I thought of all those and I don't, I don't know why, but every time I kind of think of, like, you know, space she comes to mind so yeah yeah shooting star i did think of your book so thank you good (laughs) what do you draw do you get for shooting star where did you um yeah Hmm. i don't know i'm pulling a blank um shooting star i can't even picture a book with a shooting star in it what do you think? Finally, I had um, the Rachel Kane's library series. Mm-hmm. They have this sort of moment where they all are all outside and they've had this awful day and then there's a star that shoots across the sky. That's really what I can think of. Love it. See, I couldn't think of one either and I'm glad that you thought of something. Yeah, sometimes I, I think ahead <laughs> just in yeah. case we get stuck. Yeah, good. Magnifying glass. Oh, definitely think of Mina Holmes in the Stoker and Holmes series. And also um, Phyllida Bright, because she doesn't have a magnifying glass yet, but I think she's going to have to get one in the book I'm writing right now. Yeah, you're going to have to find a magical one, I think. Ooh, that could happen. Yeah, somebody drops a magical magical one in our lap or something. Yeah. And of course, champagne, because no murder mystery night is good without champagne. Well, that's great because the book that just came out, uh, well, it will, it'll be out in November 2022. So by the time this podcast drops, it's out. Um, I was at, actually, it's a, <laughs> it's actually a book about a murder mystery party where somebody oh, there you dies go. because their drink is poison. So there's a lot of people drinking champagne in that particular book. It's called A Trace of Poison. And uh, it's the wow. second fill of murder mystery. It's a little bright murder mystery. Oh, I like that. And of course, mini foods, because no party would be, you know, without good oh, food. Oh, right. Well, definitely um, in the, uh, uh, when they have tea in my, in my Phil and yep. Bright mystery series, they have those little cakes and everything. So definitely afternoon tea in all my British books, all my British set books. Yeah, the, the high tea is a must. Oh, for it's sure. A must. Absolutely. And then, of course, old fashioned dresses, you know, oh, with yes. corsets and flailing yes. skirts. In the uh, Gardella Vampire Hunters series that's set in 1819, 1820, Ooh. 21, they aren't really wearing corset so much as they're wearing those those Regency era gowns that are kind of loose, yeah. but they still have to wear a, you know, a, a foundation garment. So I always think of yeah. my um, Victoria trying to fight vampires wearing those kinds of clo- that kind of clothing. It's very difficult. I yeah. would see a lot of I would see a lot of holes. And also in the Stoker and Home series, so many, so much fashion in those because of the steampunk element. Yeah, and I, I can think I, I can always sort of remember the humor of them, kind of looking at each other and sizing each other up. Mm. And I was just like, I bet you they're comparing fashion in their heads. Secretly. Oh, indeed, <laughs> yes, indeed. indeed. You know, I think every girl does that. Like you look at another girl and you're like. I like those well, shoes. Oh, you yeah. Know, or... well, I mean, they say that women dress for other women more than they dress for men. They dress for other Exactly. Because, mm-hmm. like, no offense. Does, do men really exactly. notice what shoes we're wearing? 
Right. No, no, they don't. Nope, agreed 100%. That's right. So, it sounds a bit weird when we say we dress for other women, but it's... Yeah, but we dress because women, in general, appreciate fashion, female fashion, you know. Yeah, we do. We do. We like other good-dressed women. Yeah. Well, that's our show for this week, folks. And, as always, we will love to have you back, Colleen, to talk about your future releases. And obviously, your I will be doing a review of Stoker and Holmes at the end of this podcast for all of you that want to stick around to hear my thoughts on it. And uh, I will be doing more of Colleen's books in the future because I absolutely adore her work. And I want to thank her for taking this time out of her really, really, really busy schedule to come on. And uh, I will see you all again next week. Thanks for... And so now I'm going to talk about the book review that I did for Clockwork Scaver. Now, I've probably pronounced that wrong and I apologize, but it is the first one in the Stokers and Holmes series and I was lucky enough to have the original hardback. My thoughts on it was that it was funny, exciting, full of gate twists, it made me forget to do my notes at times, it was fast and interesting, um, for sure, I felt it captured the characters who inspired these these stories really well. And there is a, a time travel element to the story and some steampunk pieces I really uh, enjoyed also. I loved the interaction between the female characters, Miss um, Holmes and Miss Stoker. And I liked just the element of feminism that was written throughout the entire, entire piece. So we are introduced to Miss Holmes and Miss Stoker, who meet Irene Adler in secret, who outsmarted her husband, her uncle. So this is the uh, this is Holmes's uncle, and uh, she she's here to ask them to help her to save the their country. The royal family seal seems to sway them. They are told of a girl who they think hung herself and another one who's disappeared both were found to have beetle scapulas in their possessions this is why the princess wants it investigated and that one of the girls is the daughter of the lady in waiting they are interrupted by the sound of an intruder they run out of a hiding hidden room down several corridors and through an alcove till they are under an arch where they see a man with a dead woman holding a long knife they hold him in place with a gun that Miss Adler draws. He is dressed in modern clothes, which Miss Holmes finds odd and even scandalous. He gets away when he hears the police coming with Miss Adler by creating a diversion, which might be a cell phone. He knocks over stone a uh, statue before taking off. Miss Holmes has already realized he can't be the killer due to the lack of blood and mud on his person. Police arrive and try to bully for control of the scene. Miss Adler stands firm despite the sexist thinking and mistrust. Inspector Grayling does his best to show up Miss Holmes. They finish examining the scene and they take their leave. Miss Holmes in a carriage while Miss Stoke walks. She has this, had a sense of failure about her work as a vampire hunter and she feels the presence of a man following her and confronts him. He knows who she is and her secret identity. He is cockney and puts her on edge. 
They banter back and forth until a low-flying plane startles them. The man rams her into a V-shaped gap in the building. The plane passes by. The stranger, faking a Cockney accent, offers a little information before dashing away to leave Miss Stones alone and curious. She walks home. Miss Holm realises she's in the Hackney with the foreign stranger, who is called Dylan. She gets the scab and offers him a place to stay. She realises his story about time travel is the truth as she knows it. This leads to more questions. In the morning, she realises Dylan has fled with his cell phone. Miss Stoker wakes up relieved there is a sense of quiet and she's given a note stating her new assignment and is unhappy about it. She reveals her new home, how she was brought up, and a sense of not being worthy or and how it feels about being alone and never understood. Miss Stoker is surprised when she picks up Miss Holmes in her carriage at the stunning clockwork masterpiece dress she's wearing. Miss Stoker forces herself to get an update from Miss Holmes about what they found out. Miss Stoker leans in learns in the process that Miss Holmes has no real parents to guide her. She learns about the adapted invites the Beatles in the corner and the dots carefully placed. They change Miss Stoker's to match one of the dead girls. Miss Stoker and Miss Holmes arrive where they see the house is altered for the party. They are blown away by the place and the decorations. They announce and are introduced where the host gushes over Miss Holmes. Much the annoyance of Miss Stoker, Miss Stoker sees Picks and goes after him. Miss Holmes fails to notice as Grayling arrives. Miss Holmes tries to hide from him and starts and instead runs into the host's wife and Grayling. He is the nephew of her husband. Miss Holmes is embarrassed that he witnessed her nearly knocking down a series of vases because she tripped on her skirts. A situation made worse when she goes to dance with him after feeling pressured to do so by the host's wife and trips again on her skirts. He assists her, making her all the more embarrassed. She finishes dancing and finds herself enjoying herself. Something is holding her back though. Miss Holmes and Miss Stoker sneaks out to meet with a young, with other young women where they get in a steam carriage that takes them to an underwater tunnel after Miss Holmes has a deadly fear of the dark. Miss Stoker helps her down. They fight all four men, impressing each other before entering the secret society meeting, which is led by women dressed like Egyptian goddesses, the secret society of Skelhelm. This becomes a really interesting story as Dylan Eckert is from the future and we learn more about the secret society that leads up to Miss um, Holmes and Miss Stoker becoming almost friends and uh, they realise that they're on quite an adventure together and they must work together to solve this mystery. I gave this book a 3.67 
rating and I honestly really enjoyed it. Um, I just got lost a couple of times so it might not be 100% for me but I did enjoy the fact it was historical fiction, it had fantasy, steampunk, time travel and it was really well done and I very much enjoyed it. So I would recommend for you guys to try it if you like some steampunk, uh, some time travel and some stuff set in history. So I will be back next week where I will be introducing you to an incredible romance writer that you will not want to miss.